So we continue in our series, The Land Between, trusting God through difficult transitions. And um, I want you to understand, if, if some of what I'm sharing today feels, um, I, I just can't quite put my mind around this. I, I lead the prayer meeting on Wednesdays, and uh, there's a really great resource called the, the Feelings Wheel, right? And it's, what it does is it has sort of the five central feelings we have, and then it disperses in terms of how we understand those feelings. So if we feel anxious, right, or we feel frustrated, it focuses us in on understanding that the root of that is anger, right? Depression, all these things, the, the root of that is, is deep sadness, right? And so I, I don't know how you have um, interpreted or understood the election results, um, the, the joy of being a church that comes into a relationship with one another through Jesus is that we can have various um, stances on various things, and there should be. We, we should not all be in the same place about how we understand the world. That, that's not the issue. The issue is Jesus is Lord, and we learn to work together in the midst of that, right? Because it's the beauty of the church is that it's a, it's, a, it's a group of people that probably would not relate to one another outside of being drawn into a relationship with each other through Jesus. That's, that's the beauty and the power of the church. But this, re, this election has shown us again how deeply divided we are as a country, right? Uh, and for me, there's been a, a bit of frustration. So there was celebration that was happening around the streets. If you live in and around Brooklyn or in a major, um, major urban center, right, you, you, you've, you heard the cries of joy, right? The, the streets were alive with the sound of singing, and people were celebrating and rejoicing. And there's much to celebrate, right? There's much to celebrate. As, as Ben shared, we live in a democracy that in large part worked right now, right? Voter suppression was attacked, right? It, it, one of the things I'm, I'm most proud of is Stacey Abrams in, in, the, in the state of Georgia personally, through her organization, registered 800,000 vote, new voters in her state, right? Voter suppression was attacked in the South. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. We are going to have the first woman of color as vice president, right? Yes. There is much to celebrate in this. And yet, 70 million people were saddened by the result of the election yesterday. 70 million. Okay. And so, and so something of this, there's, there's this land between, right? This here and now. How do we deal with the reality of me being able to some ways celebrate that there are victories that we can come around as a country. Meanwhile, there are 70 million folks on another side of this argument, another side of this situation, right? How do we deal with this? And I was reminded personally about this in, in, the, in the reality of the in-between. After the, um, the, the, the wrongful death, the murder of George Floyd, and after the wrongful death and the murder of Breonna Taylor, there were a number of, of, of marches and protests that were happening in and around the city, right, and in and around the country. And I, was, I found myself wanting to participate to hear what, what are the cries of the people in the midst of what's going on in our country? What's being said? How are people feeling? And so I was out at a number of these events, and one I remember, it was, it was a bike rally. It was organized by a group, and it was a bike rally, and people were biking. Thousands and thousands of people on their bicycles all around Brooklyn, going all around Brooklyn. And as I was 
listening to and, and, and with all these bikers, there were police officers lined up all around, you know, guarding streets, in some ways protecting these bikers from, from cart oncoming traffic, stopping traffic so they can continue to have their, 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 their right to, to protest. And, and bikers were, were bike going by these police officers and yelling all sorts of terrible, terrible things at police officers, right? Now, were people frustrated and upset? Yes. Are there police officers that have mistreated individuals? Absolutely. But in the midst of that, there were just, just venomous, awful things being said about police officers as they were biking by. And what happened was I found myself tempted and, in fact, a couple of times responding, not with words, not with, not with profanity, but, but found myself wanting to enter in and, in fact, entering in and yelling at those police officers, like, we need better. We need better. You need to stand up and stand out. And these were just random police officers, perhaps not involved in any way with what was happening, just there because it was their shift. It was their shift. And I was biking around, and I got home at the end of the day, and I was deeply convicted that I'd entered in to the noise of the crowd. I had entered into the noise of the crowd. And in this moment of the here and, and in, in between season, right? Because as Christians, as good Bible teachers would tell us, we live between the already and the not yet. We live with the reality that we have been saved. If we are trusting in Jesus, we have been saved. We are in a relationship with the God of the universe, but there's the not yet. It's not all the way it should be. Heaven is our true home. And for me, as one who has sort of like this prophetic bend, not one who's proclaiming the future, not one who's seen the risen Jesus, one who has just this desire to see righteousness and justice ring forth in our country and our world. I have to realize there's a not yet. And so for me, again, remember that frustration I felt is, is this idea of if I don't have the kingdom of God superimposing how I view life, I'm going to find myself perennially frustrated with whatever we're dealing with. Because I have to recognize that what God wants to do in my life is show me that he's teaching me something about the frustration of the now, right? The not yet. What is not yet happening the way it is what it should be, right? My housing situation, my financial situation, my health situation. What am I learning about this frustration of the reality? I, I thought I stepped out of this difficult situation. I've made this decision. I'm going to get clean. And then I hit a wall of having to deal with myself, of having to confess to family that I've hurt, of having to realize that there's situations and families and, and relationships that I've damaged as a result of my, my substance abuse, right? Stepping into those situations. What, I, know, I wasn't prepared for that. I thought I could just be liberated and live a new life. And then there's the now. What do I do in those moments? Well, this is what this series has been teaching us. And we're going to go back to the text that we've been going through um, as our foundation, but look at it from another angle. So what one practice we do is we're going to stand together, and I'm going to read our text to us. If you'd like to follow along in your Bible, again, we're going back to Numbers 11. And to look at it in a deeper level, in another angle, the land between looking at Numbers 11. And this is the text from the New Living Translation. And we stand because if nothing else, if you hear nothing else from what I share today, God is addressing us right now. 
the reading of his word. This is the words of God that address us as his people today. So listen as I read the word of God to us this morning. It says, soon the people began to complain about their hardships, and the Lord heard everything they said. Then the Lord's anger blazed against them, and he sent fire to rage among them, and he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people screamed to Moses for help, and when he prayed to the Lord, the fire stopped. After that, the area was known as Teberah, which means the place of burning, because fire from the Lord had burned among them there. Then the foreign rabble, who were traveling with the Israelites, began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain, Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt, and we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we see is this manna. The manna looked like small coriander seeds, and it was pale yellow like gum resin. The people would go out and gather it from the ground. They made flour by grinding it with hand mills or pounding it in mortars. Then boil, they boiled it in a pot and made it into flake cakes. These cakes tasted like pastries baked with olive oil. The manna came down on the camp with dew during the night. Moses heard all the families standing in the doorway of their tents whining, and the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was also very aggravated. And Moses said to the Lord, Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me saying, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. I will come down and talk to you there. I will take some of the spirit that is upon you, and I will put the spirit upon them also. They will bear the burden of the people along with you, so you will not have to carry it alone. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And so we come back to this text and the lessons of learning the in the in-between, the here and now, this land between the promise that we've heard and the fulfillment of that promise. What do we do in the waiting, in this in-between? As I said, this is most of the Christian life. Most of the Christian life is learning to do well in the waiting, of learning in the trouble, because we'll go from trouble to trouble, unfortunately, because the world is not as it should be. And so what do we do? What do we do? In the midst of a divided country, in the midst of our own frustrations, our own troubles, what do we do? How do we learn the lessons? Well, again, it's about listening up. We need to listen up. And you think about it, this is like a coach who's, who's pulling the, t- the team in for an important game in the moment. He's saying, if you don't hear anything else, listen to my clear instructions about what's going to happen in these next few moments. Because in these next few moments, you're going to hit the court, you're going to hit the field, and things are going to happen. 
And if you don't have my words, my instructions, my pr preparation in view, you're going to get killed. You're going to get slaughtered. You're gonna, we're going to find ourselves on the losing end again. So we need to listen up. Listen close. Open our ears to what God has to say to us. And so we have some lessons to learn because we get caught in the nonsense. We need to listen close. What is God saying to us in the here and now? And the first is we have to remember that God hears it all. God hears it all. Now this is both conviction and comfort. Okay? Conviction and comfort. Because again, if you look at the text, if you're looking in, 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 in Numbers 11, the first thing we see is that God takes complaining very seriously. These are not just little complaints. These are serious indictments on who God is. Complaining are indictments on the holiness of God. We are saying, as I said a number of weeks ago, and as Pastor Gus has picked up on, we're saying in these moments when we go to God and complain, ultimately we're saying, God, you are not good. You are not good. You are not present. You are not active. You are not with me. You are not working. Complaining is saying, God, you are not good. He hears it all. Nothing slips by him. God knows all of the grumbling that goes on under the hood. Again, if nothing else today, it should be deeply convicting. It's deeply convicting to me. God knows about the narrative that's going on inside of me when I'm complaining. All those complaining things that I never share, right? And it's the stupidest things. But again, we have to be confronted by the reality that God hears it all and we, he takes it very seriously. It's just to give you the example, right? How, how trivial these things are. It's me going to the dishwasher and again, pausing, blessed that I have a dishwasher. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right? Affordable housing lottery going into our new space last year, walking into the kitchen and seeing a dishwasher. Right? It's the first time our family's had a dishwasher since our very first apartment 20 years ago, right? So the fact that we have a dishwasher, but that's not good enough for me, right? In that moment, I will, after dinner, and I go to the end of the day, I'm cleaning up at the end of the day, I'm looking and I'm seeing the dishes just all thrown in there in disarray, right? And so I'm thinking, why didn't my kids do this right? Why didn't my wife do this right? Why didn't they put it, I can get so many more dishes. Now I'm not saying all this outwardly, it's all going on under the hood. And what I'm really saying in that moment is this, I'm better than them. I'm better than them. Now, is orderliness good? Are there more effective ways to do things? Absolutely, that's not the issue. But I'm saying in that moment, I'm better than them. And what I'm really saying in that moment is, God, it's they're the problem. They're the problem. Complaining, God hears it all. Even when there's things going on, I never communicate. God hears those things. God hears those things. He knows those things. And he takes it very seriously. It's like when you were a kid, right? And maybe it was your mom or maybe it was your dad. Maybe it was an aunt or an uncle or a grandma or a grandpa that you lived with, right? And you were having that conversation with a friend in the other room. <clears throat> and then you hear, I heard that. I heard that. Right? God hears those things. God hears those things, right? When you think, mom can't hear this, grandpa can't hear it, auntie can't hear it, right? You, you, moms seem to have that extra ear, right? I heard that. 
I heard that. Oh, well, well, we're just going to clean our room later, right? Or I'll, I'll take the trash out tomorrow. I heard that. I heard that. <laughs> Deeply convicting to be reminded that the God of the universe hears even the complaints going on under the hood of my life. So first, a place of conviction, right? Do you know today? Do I know today that God is hearing that narrative under the hood in my life that no one else hears? Do you think it's not important? It doesn't matter. It's just little things. Or am I saying, no, no, because here's what happens. That complaining, if left unchecked, has devastating consequences in my life. We saw that in the Israelites, right? A fire broke out in the, in, in, in the nation, right? In, in, the, in the Old Testament, a number of times, literally the earth opens up and God swallows people through, from the earth. Earthquakes take people. Complaining God takes very seriously. But the other side of this is to remember this. Moses also complains. So we think, oh, the Israelites, of course, man. These are the folks who are just like, they're, they're the ones who don't get it. They don't get this, right? They're the ones who, like, they don't have a relationship with God. They're not the one hearing from him. They don't have close access. Moses, as Pastor Gus and I have been working through this text, and it's like one of the most honest prayers in the scriptures. And, and, and again, some of us gasped when I read it. Look again at the text. Verse 15, if you will treat me like this, just go ahead and kill me. Just go ahead and kill me. If, if, it, and what I want us to understand is that there's both, again, the conviction of the complaining, but the comfort. God is big enough to hear that kind of concern, that kind of complaint. He's loving enough not to let us stay there, but he's big enough to hear it. And if we think today, here's the, what I want us to be encouraged by. If we're thinking that I need to clean up my prayers before I come to God, God just like, no, no, no. Bring the mess. Bring the mess of my concerns. Bring the mess of my complaints before me. Don't think, well, God won't want to hear that. God won't want me to bring that. God won't want me to say that. God already knows you're thinking it. He just wants you to be honest. He doesn't want us to stay in our complaints, but he's big enough to hear them. And so again, for maybe for some of us, we think, well, God can't possibly love me because I'm struggling in these things. God can't possibly love me because I'm, I'm worried or fearful or, or I'm, I'm not sure how to understand or even articulate these things, what to say or how to feel in these moments. God's like, just turn these things over to me. Entrust them to me. God hears it all. He hears it all. And it's both convicting and comforting. If you read the Psalms for any length of time, most of the Psalms will start with just guttural, serious, like complaints before God because they realize this is, this is not what I signed up for. And God is like, yes, you're right. The world is not as it should be. But trust me. Trust me. And we'll go there. God is listening. He hears it all. So his application to think about, when do we think God is not listening? When do we think God is not listening? 
That's a question we need to ask ourselves again and again. Is it when I'm on my own and I'm going through this, this rehearsing in my mind of all the things I think are wrong with the world? Is God not listening in that moment? Right? Has God lost control of the election? Has God lost control of my finances? Has God lost control of my family? Has God lost control of my finances? Is God not listening in these moments? When do I think God isn't listening? Secondly, do I think he doesn't want to hear from me? Is that something I battle in my life? Do I think that God couldn't possibly want to hear from me? The struggles, the concerns, the fears, the worries. I'm just a hot mess. Do I think that God doesn't want to hear from me? I need to address that in my life. But as we think about this, listen up moment. Okay? The first is that God takes complaining very seriously, that he hears us, that he wants to bring our complaints to him. But secondly, we have to realize that God's like, listen up, because the reality is we're going to often find ourselves moved by the crowd. Moved by the crowd. This is all so real right now. Mob mentality. I was so grateful to hear Joe Biden say in his speech yesterday that we have to let this, this demonizing go, go. It has to go on both sides of the political spectrum. has to go. This othering of folks, and we see it all over the place. All over the place of othering people. Those people. Those people. But we find ourselves so often moved by the crowd. Again, look back at the text. This, this verse 4 is, is tough to translate. Again, remember the Hebrew is a poetic language, or ancient poetic language, and the words often are, are very broad in the meaning. It can mean many things. But it, this, this translation of verse 4 says, uh, I think it's the, the foreign rabble. So rabble is not a word we would use, right, often. I don't, I don't think I've ever, ever used the word outside of what this text is describing here. But, and in other translations, it would, be, it would mean like the mixed multitude. And what that means is there were folks from Egypt that left with Israel. There were Egyptians that heard the, the warnings of God and decided that to follow Israel was, to be, was better than to stay in Egypt. They had saw the writing on the wall that Egypt was in a hot mess and it was time to go. But here's also what we need to remember. These weren't necessarily believing folks. They believed some of the ideas about God, but these weren't folks who said, like, I bought into the Ten Commandments. I am part of this covenant community. They were like, anything but Egypt. Anything but Egypt. It was the crowd. They wanted some of the benefits of community, but had not bought into the reality of trusting and living and depending on God. And so what we have to remember is that we live in that space. There's a lot of people, and this is two things we need to be aware of. One, we live in the space where a lot of people know about Jesus, but don't want a relationship with him. They can quote scriptures about what they know to be true about who God is, but their life doesn't look any different than the world. I'm going to go back to that in a minute. But the second is that the crowd has a very different initiative. What they just want is comfort. They want escape. They want ease. See, the crowd will settle for the easy way out. They just wanted the easy way out. Anything but Egypt, right? They'll think, Long, they want short-term gain. All they're thinking about is short-term gain and not realizing that will be long-term pain. 
The crowd will tell us to follow our hearts. I remember a number of sermons that that Pastor Edwin has given. Following our hearts is probably some of the worst instruction you could get in the history of humanity. Following your heart means following whatever feels good in the moment. And if we're honest, if we don't have a deep abiding sense of who God is, following our hearts will lead to massive destruction in our life. Because we're following what feels good in the moment. But the crowd will tell us to follow our hearts, to do what feels good. Do what feels good. And this is what the Israelites found themselves listening to in that moment. They were out in the desert. God had promised them long-term gain through short-term pain. But they were saying, no, 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 I'd rather go back to the short-term gain. Right? I'd rather go back to slavery knowing I have three square meals than about freedom. I'd rather get three square meals than freedom. Folks, on the street, when I'm having these conversations during the breakfast, there's a few folks that are telling me, I want to get arrested because the only way I know I'm going to get three square meals is to wind up in jail. Short-term gain. But you don't understand the long-term implications of incarceration and a criminal record that will go with you for a long time. And some in this room know that all too well. The crowd will tell us that complaining is a virtue, that doubt is a virtue. It's okay to not know everything. It's okay to not have certainty. Its truth is relative. It's not important. The crowd will tell us what to follow what we want to hear rather than what we need to know. Tell us what we want to hear. Tell us what we want to hear. You see, in moments of trouble, the temptation, the strong pull is to get pulled into the voice of the crowd. And we think, well, I could never do that, right? I, I'm not there. I, I, I don't feel like I'm very impressionable. I feel like I have a good moral compass inside of me. I feel like I can discern good from evil. I feel like I'm in those spaces, right? But I'm telling you, I was biking in, in among the crowd, and I found myself yelling things that I probably wouldn't have otherwise if I had not been in that space. I'm telling you that as a pastor. Take heed lest we fall. The noise of the crowd speaks loud, loud. And in that, we miss the whispers of God. The crowd is loud. And the Israelites so often will get caught up in this crowd dynamic. A little later on, we recognize, and we see this again and again, right? What happens when there's, they're told to go out into the promised land, right? Twelve spies, right? What, goes, what happens? Twelve spies come back. Ten are like, man, that's too hard. That's too hard. That's too hard. Forget it, man. It's, it's, it's over. Giants, it's going to be overwhelming. They have way too many people. It's just too difficult. Forget it. Let's just go back to what we know. Let's go back to what we know. Two say we're looking at it from the vantage point of ourselves rather than God. We're looking at what we can accomplish rather than what God can accomplish. The crowd speaks loud. Rehoboam, same thing again, a little later on, Solomon's son, one of his sons, and he realized I, he's, he's, he's entrusted with leadership, and he gets these counselors around him and say, what do we do in this moment? And he says, you know, you've got to crack the whip. You've got to crack the whip. You've got to show them who's boss, right? And this is the crowd mentality, right? 
Crack the whip. Show them who's boss. Lead with power. And what happens? Devastation for the nation. Devastation. Loss of trust in the king. And when we think, again, I'm not going to get swayed by that crowd thinking, here's what's going on. When we think we're not going to get swayed, we're missing that the crowd is tempting us on two of our deepest idols, comfort and control. Comfort and control. The crowd always is going to want to go towards what's comfortable, right? Always go towards comfortable, the easy way out, whatever works in the moment. And the other one is control, right? Control. I'm just going to push it out there. I don't want to deal with what's going on under the hood. I don't want to deal with my mess. I want to push it out there. It's other people's problems. It's other people's issues, right? I'm going to manage the narrative and manage the conversation saying it's other people. It's other people. It's other people. God, why did you do this? Why did you do this? And God's like, hmm. <laughs> What did I do? Oh, right, part the Red Sea, provide food in the desert. Uh, one of the beautiful things, I, your shoes didn't wear out wandering 40 years. We have, we have homeless folks that we serve, and they walk around for a month, and their shoes are worn out. God reminded them, I'm going to show you how much I care for you. 40 years, you're going to wander in the desert. You're going to have the same shoes on. So hmm, what did I do? Comfort and control. That's what the crowd is saying. Seek what's comfortable. Go back to what you can manage, right? Oh, addiction wasn't that bad, right? You, you know what to expect. You know how this works, right? You can manage this. That job isn't so bad. These friends aren't so bad, right? Because you can control this narrative. You can control this, really, right? Take a deeper look. So in the struggle, in the here and now, and the temptation of the crowd is loud. Remember again I said... In this election, a number of people have been teaching me and reminding me, we shouldn't feel comfortable in either political platform. If I find myself being overly comfortable in either one, I've lost sight of the kingdom. I was reading in the text, this, reading through John 19 this week. The Pharisees bring Jesus before Pontius Pilate, and what their cry is this, we have no king but Caesar. What an indictment. If we go and say, I have no king but this president, we are in trouble. We are in trouble. So application, what do we need to hear? Are we listening to the crowd? And as Pastor Gus and we were talking about this, thinking about this. So thinking about the crowd, who am I taking suggestions from? Who am I taking suggestions from? Are we, are we, am I settling for what people, for what I want to hear? Am I going to people that are just going to tell me what I want to hear? Are people around me fueling complaint, giving wind? Are they just saying it's okay, just keep bringing it, keep bringing it, keep bringing it? Do I have friends in my life that lovingly confront me? A word I heard, I think it was in... Um, an NAAA training that I was in recently, this idea of a carefrontation, care right? Some of us have heard this, right? Do I have people loving enough to care, bring carefrontation? 
Or am I just like, tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what's good. Tell me what's easy. Tell me, what, tell me what's going to work right now. The temptation in here and now is to settle for what the crowd is saying. To settle for what the crowd is saying. But lastly, again, in the here and now, in the waiting, the last thing we need to know is, and, and we miss this so often, and the, a few translations help us see the distinction of what's happening in this text in verse 16. So the last thing is this. In the listen up moments of life, God is saying, do you hear me? Do you hear me? Verse 16. Moses is complaining, complaining, complaining. How am I going to do this? How am I going to make this work? These people are the problem. I'm never going to be able to get us out of this struggle. All these things are happening. It's beyond my depth. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do. I don't go. Going nuts, right? Right? And we're in those spaces, right? We're bugging out. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to work. What is going to happen? And verse 16. Then God. Then God. Say it with me. Then God. Then God. God listens to the complaining, listens to the struggle, listens to all the bugging, Moses bugging out, and he's like, okay, you done? Are you done? Are you ready to hear me now? Because here's the other issue. In the midst of the here and now, the struggle, we're listening to the crowd and we're just talking. I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm talking. I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm talking. Am I listening for God? Am I listening for God? Really listening for Him? Slowing down long enough for God to get a word in? Am I just talking and talking? Is my prayer life so full of talking and talking and talking and talking? Is my life so full of talking and talking and talking? Am I slowing down long enough to say, God, speak? I'm listening. Your servant is listening, right? Samuel, right? He goes out and says, like, oh, I don't hear. And God's like, he finally realizes, your servant is listening. Your servant is listening. You see, God wants to reorient us around listening to him. We're so busy talking that we're not listening to him. God will raise up wise counselors. Am I so busy listening to the wrong voices? To the wrong voices. God will raise up trusted voices. But they're not telling me what I want to hear. I want to hear that it's going to get easier. It's going to be better. That you, God, you know, God's going to give you this or give you that. That he's going to make you rich and powerful and strong. That it's going to go, you're going to put all the riches and all the positions and all the opportunities. And this other person's like, it's going to get harder before it gets, e it gets easier. You're like, ah, let me find someone else. Let me find someone else. Trusted counsel. Again, look at the text. It says, find 70 men of the elders whom you know to be elders of the people. Who you know. Am I going around to people that are those who I can trust have been through stuff and live to tell the story? Lots of people have ideas. Lots of people have ideas. There are people in our life who have lived to tell the story of God's faithfulness. So we have to remember, am I listening? 
is God going to show me truth from people that I know I need to hear from? That I need to hear from? And lastly, the warning, this, again, just as a side. Am I listening to him? Am I slowing down? Am I listening to him? Am I receiving for him? And this is the other thing we need to be aware of. A seminary professor told me years and years ago when I was in seminary, and, and I'm going to say this and then I'll help us understand. We need to be aware that we're not reading other people's mail. And what I mean by this is, do we live for the word of God or what people teach us about the word of God? Oswald Chambers, Joyce Myers, T.D. Jakes, I mean, pick, pick whoever. Whatever well you go to for devotional reading, not bad, some better than others. Not bad, some better than others. But Oswald Chambers' words are not where the power lies. C.H. Spurgeon's words are not where the power lies. John Piper's words are not where the power lies. It's good. It's wise counsel. But do I hear the word of God? The word of God. Because God says, when, you, when he, I'm asking you to hear me, I'm not asking you to quote what John Piper or John MacArthur or T.D. Jakes or Joyce Meyer or whoever else says. I'm asking you, do you have a word from me that you cling to when the chips are down? Do you have a word from me? And if we don't, we're susceptible to following the crowd. Because we're listening to what other people say rather than what God says. What I love is Paul goes into the church in the Bereans, right? And of all people, Paul were like, oh, I should be able to trust this guy. He wrote most of the New Testament, right? He was a scholar. But he, he affirms the Bereans because they were holding him to account in everything he said. And he affirms that reality. He says, you shouldn't just trust what I'm saying. Go to this. Hold everything I'm saying to this. Because it's not what I say. It's not what Pastor Edwin says. It's not what any one of your great devotional teachers says. All good. Again, some better than others. It's what God says. His promise is that his word will bear fruit. His word will give counsel. His word will bring stability. So am I listening to God? In the midst of the trouble, am I listening to God? Do I have words from him that bring stability and comfort, counsel and care, strength and stability in those unknown moments? And if I don't, then I need to. So God is like, listen up. Listen up. Complaining I take seriously. You can come to me with it, but don't stay there. You're tempted to move, be moved by the crowd to listen to what's comfortable and convenient and easy. But slow down and listen to me. Slow down and listen to me. And so as we close, I just want us to say, some of us need to listen to God for the first time. For the first time. We've been running away from what God has been saying. And it's time to run to him. It's about saying, I'm going to trust in the word, Jesus, who came and gave us life, offered us life. By admitting we can't fix ourselves, we can't change ourselves, no amount of good deeds will make us right with God. It's about trusting what Jesus did. And so some of us need to believe in that today. 
And so if you want to do that, I'm just going to invite you again at the end of the service. If you want to talk to me or Pastor Edwin or Pastor Gus, just come to us and say, I don't know about this Jesus thing. I need to know more about this Jesus thing. My life is a mess. I've, I've tried other things and it doesn't work. I've tried other methods. It doesn't work. I'm still here and I want to know more. To come to believe in Jesus, to admit I can't fix myself, to believe what he says to be true about him and me, and to commit to following him, to learning from him, and to listening to him. This is the invitation. God's like, listen to me. I'm offering you life. I'm offering you life. Hope and peace beyond anything you can imagine. But do you trust me? Will you listen to me? Will you wait on me? Will you go to me? This is the invitation from God. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you that you love us even more than we can imagine. Thank you that you confront us because you care for us. Thank you that you speak into our situations. Your word has so much counsel to address so many things in our life. We need the stability, the truth of your word to lead us and guide us. Raise up counselors among us, people that will speak the truth and love to us. And Jesus, help us to hear you. Your small voice, your Holy Spirit that will guide us into truth from your word to comfort, correct, guide, strengthen. We love you and thank you that you are far more committed to our growth and to our care and, for our, and to our love than we can even imagine. We love you and thank you for this time together in your precious name. Amen. 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 So... As we close again, be reminded, we are here to help. If, if something that's been said today is stirred in you, take that as a reception, as God working. Something you need to pray about, someone you're with, ask them to pray for you. Pray over you. Bring God's word to bear in that situation. Um, Pastor Gus, Pastor Edwin and I are here to talk, to pray with you, to encourage you, to however we can be a help to you. Um, you can sign up again to help with our Thanksgiving here. You can get free COVID tests after the service. We are glad you're here. Um, we rejoice in the opportunity for us to gather together. And we trust as we leave this place that God will continue to bless us and lead us into fruitful life, trusting in his word. We love you and we're grateful you're here. You're dismissed.